All right, there's been a bit of confusion about life group. Uh, it is third Sunday. This third Sunday is typically the day where we have potluck, where we um, have a mission offering. Uh, we'll take up a second offering here in just a bit. That's just for our missions, our local missions that we do. Um, it funds those. Um, and it's also the, usually the Sunday we don't do anything Sunday night. Well, we just started life groups last week, um, but as far, there's no official ruling on whether or not our life group is going to meet. If your life group doesn't want to meet in a bunch of sissies, you, can't, you don't have to. You don't have to meet. You don't have to do it. Um, I, was, I was actually talking with Rob, and I said, our, our group's holier, we're going to meet. And he said, our group's holier, we don't have to meet. So I, you, get, you really could look at it from any way you want to, any perspective that benefits you, just run with it. Uh, but our group's going to meet. Um, if you're, just, just talk to your group leaders, kind of determine what, what's exactly going on. Um, I, I love how this church um, is honest with me. Um, for the, as far as I can tell, um, people who um, talk to me are who they are. I don't get a lot of glossy, I'm talking to the preacher talk. I get that some, where they want to say, they, they well, you know, well, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing, doing great. Just bless, 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 preacher brother. And I, okay, thank you. You're, not, you're a puppet. I don't. But for the, what I get from the most part from you guys is just honesty. Just you, you are who you are. Um, we, we as Christians tend to be fine. That's our, that's our, our typical state. We're fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, how, how, how are things going in your life? Fine. Actually, we're so used to that answer to that question that when someone says, when we get the dreaded, well, we're like, oh, withdraw. Withdraw the question. I don't, no, I didn't ask it. I'm just running away. I, I was expecting you to say fine. And then I was going to say fine too. And then we're just going to disperse and go eat. Like, I don't want, like we genuinely really don't want to hear um, sometimes about people's uh, problems, and we don't think people want to hear about ours, and so we paint this image of ourselves as we are, we're fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. Some of you have had knocked down, drag out fights with your spouse in the car on the way here, and have walked in the door and said, oh, we're fine, we're great. No, you're not. I would love I would love to go to a church where people walked in the door after having a knockdown, drag-out fight with their spouse. And people say, hey, how are you doing today? Well, good, other than the knockdown, drag-out fight I just had with my spouse. But I think this is one of the problems with, with our marriages at times is we think we have to project a certain a state to be accepted. We think our goal is to project an image instead of have, ha, have an actual integrity about our marriage, about our lives. And so we, we say, well, I'm, I'm fine. The goal of Christianity is not to be fine. The goal of Christianity is not to project that we're, we're just fine. Sometimes you're not fine. Sometimes God is calling you to do something 
that if you're going to do it, you won't be fine. Does that make sense? Like God's calling you to, God calls us to be uncomfortable sometimes. I would actually argue a lot of times. God is calling, if Christianity in your life is just a thing that you easily do, it's something you kind of frolic and do at the same time, you're not doing it right. Christianity can be hard. Christianity can, can take effort. And if there's no effort involved, you, you, can, you, can, you can guess, you can venture a guess to say, well, it's not really, I'm not really living the way of Jesus to my fullest. Not saying you're not a Christian, I'm just saying you're not representing the kingdom the best of your ability because God calls us to do things that are difficult to do and sometimes we just have to say all right I'm doing them only because you say to do them I'm doing this thing only because God has called me to do it not because I want to not because it's easy not because it's fine I'm just doing it because you say so Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, I want to, before we get to what the Lord said to him, I want to, I want you to just remember that when he began to speak to him, like this is the first time he spoke to him, and this is, this is what he said. Go marry a promiscuous woman. This is, there are various ways of translating this particular word. Um, I picked the um, the least odd, um, a, a woman of ill repute. A there, there's ones that begin with a W and an H. I'm going on. I'm not going to do it, go that way. Um, but it's a promiscuous. Go marry somebody who's going to cheat on you. Essentially, um, go marry a promiscuous woman. And in this context, let's just add and probably get paid for it. All right, so. Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, the land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Okay, hold up. Just imagine Hosea doing whatever it is Hosea did. And then the Lord began to speak to him and says, Hosea. Oh, this is my time. Always, Mama always said I'd be a prophet. Lord begins to speak to Hosea and says, Hosea, yes, Lord. Go marry a promiscuous woman named Gomer. Earl, is that you? Probably had a friend named Earl who was always pranking him, pretending to be the voice of God from the local tree. But I can't imagine like the Lord coming to me and saying, hey, here, I've got something for you to do. And you saying, oh, ha, stepping up, ready? I'm, it's the big time. I, I've, been, I've been building this soapbox for a while. I'm going to be Jeremiah. I'm going to be standing and proclaiming things to the kings. I'm going I'm going to I, I'm, I'm gonna be a prophet. Go marry a woman who's going to cheat on you. Not what I was expecting, God. It says right off. So, Hosea went and married a woman. So, he married Gomer. 
daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. That's what you want me to do, God. You want me to feel pain for you. You want me to suffer. Okay. All right. I will. There's a quote in your um, in the bulletins on the back from Brene Brown. Brene Brown is a researcher. Um, and she talks about the fact that um, she, her main subject is vulnerability. And the quote is, um, and I'll give you a little bit of context. She says, we try to numb our bad, our painful emotions through many different addictions, many different roots. But if we numb the painful emotions, we also will numb the good emotions. We have to have the ability to feel pain and suffering to feel these positive, to feel the wonders of joy and love and trust. I've counseled people before who have gone through serious heartache and they'll say, I'll love again as long, as long as there's no risk that I'll be hurt again. And I always tell them, you won't love again. Because love in its purest form is when we're vulnerable to people that can hurt us deeply. When we make ourselves vulnerable to someone that we know has the power with just a word and just an action to wound us significantly. And it's when we find love in that level of vulnerability that we can find real love. The problem with a lot of our marriages is that the goal of the marriage is we've got these two individuals playing ping pong with each other's needs. I'll meet your needs and you meet mine. And it's this back and forth of needs. No one wins that game. Eventually someone fails. The problem with that game of ping pong is that there's a score. That you're always thinking, well, I, I do this for them and I do that for them, but they don't do that for me. We're always comparing our positive attributes to the other person's negative attributes just to kind of keep the score in our favor. But a good marriage, a good Faithful marriage is not one that keeps score, but it's one that holds hands and takes on the world together. They're not at odds, but they're side by side. And Gomer, or Hosea, was asked to love Gomer like this. Be vulnerable to someone who's going to hurt you, 
and then they're going to hurt you, God says. And he says, do it because I want you to know the pain I feel. We worship a God who is vulnerable to us. Who loves us so much that when we refuse that love, he's not just, and I would, I would actually argue his main emotion isn't mad. I don't even know if that enters into the spectrum. When we refuse to love him, it breaks his heart. That God wants that sort of relationship with you. He says, go marry Gomer and feel the pain of that. So that later in Hosea 3, it says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she, though she is loved by another. At this point in the story, she has completely left. And she is with someone else. Go again, uh, though she, loved, she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, or in our case, loves his people. Though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. Um, this, real, this sermon's really about, I've noticed you and your raisin cakes. But whatever, you're, whatever it is that, that you will abandon God for, for them it was a, that was a religious rite through, for another god. They, they have abandoned me for another god. Whatever it is that you have abandoned God for, He is chasing after you. Not because you are a notch on His score sheet, but because He loves, God loves you without condition. He loves you not because you've earned it, not because it, it's, he, he loves you like a child. He loves you in a vulnerable way so that He can feel pain whenever you refuse to love. He says, go show Gomer that sort of love so that you will know what it's like, what kind of love I love the Israelites with. And it says he went and bought her back with, with grain, like almost 450 pounds of grain. Paid a large price to get his wife God said, go love her like that. God does not call us to be fine. He calls us to be faithful. He calls us to, to be devoted to the way that he would to the way of life that he would have us live. He calls us to be faithful. And in our marriages what we find is that it's the perfect place to show the world what God's faithfulness looks like. Our marriages should be these, these wonderful little places that, God, that people can look and say, that's what God's love looks like. Now, teenagers, and those of you who are young and single, you may, you may have just checked out for a second and said, 
Oh, well, this one isn't for me. Um, I would argue that it is, is that the way you live now is your practice of being faithful to your spouse later. You will have a spouse. Guys, you will, in, you know, if you play your cards right, guys, you will have a wife. Girls, some of you are going to mess up and have a husband. You will, one of these days. But you've got to decide whether or not you're living faithfully to that future relationship now. Being frivolous with things that are sacred is refusing to be faithful to your future spouse now. You can, without being married, you can be unfaithful. Now, this is not a, that's not a thing to say, oh, well, you should feel guilty for the things you, are done, you have done. I'm just trying to give you a, through a new lens to look through to start making new and healthier decisions. This isn't a time to feel shame and guilt. Let's just move on and start making better and healthier decisions and start from here on out living faithful, faithfully to the spouse you will have. Married people, your marriage has a purpose. It has a purpose. And it's not to get your needs met. Although I would argue that if you, live, if you, if you lived out a married life with a purpose, your needs will be met. But if you, if you, if you seek to have your needs met, they won't be. It's the strangest thing. And it, Paul even talks about this in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 5. It says, and when he's talking about um, how wives, husbands and wives should interact, he says, submit one another, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, some Bibles um, mess this up. Now, notice I'm not saying the, the Holy Bible is messed up. The, the headings that are in your Bible... And kind of mess with, with, you think, oh, well, now that section's over and you move on. A lot of um, earlier translations put a heading after verse 21. They would say, it, that would end a section. It would say, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Talking about just Christians. And then it would say, now husbands and wives. And it would go to this verse, um, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. Um. But that's not right. Uh, that first, that verse 21 belongs with verse 22. Uh, and I can prove it. Real quick, and if you don't care, I'm just going to prove it, and then we're going to move on, and I'm going to settle the matter right now. And then we'll, and you can pick up in just a second. But uh, the Greek, in verse 21, it says, Submit to yourself, submit to one another out of the reverence for your, uh, out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22 says, wives to your husbands. It doesn't even have the word. It, we have to grab the word from verse 21 and put it in verse 22. Why? Because they're one thought. That's how I would do it. We're, go, we're going to stack chairs. Guys, put them in the hallway. You're going to put what in the hallway? It's not a new thought. 
I said stack chairs. Obviously it's the chairs. I don't have to say the word again because I'm, I started a thought and said the word and now I'm moving on and I don't have to say the word. He says, wives, you, you submit to one another. Wives, this is how you submit to your husband. Wives, out of reverence, you submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, let me say this real quick. Guys, this is not a verse for you. Men don't get to quote this verse. This wasn't written to them. The Bible makes a fantastic mirror, and it makes a horrible magnifying glass. And for the last, for the last several decades, we've been holding this magnifying glass and saying, wives, 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 here's, here's what you got to do. And we were evaluating our wives based on Scripture. Men, your, scripture, your verse is coming. Wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Um, now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This doesn't say obey. If you want to talk about this later, I, I, I'm not going to exhaust the subject today. I just want to get to a major point that we're going to look at in just a second. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, this is how you submit. You love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, all of this to point out that yes, there are some specific things that Paul wants us to do within our marriage. There are uh, some specific relationships that need to work a certain way. But what I want to look at is the comparison. It's the least romantic thing that has ever been written. Or so it would seem. Because for us, we would say, I would like to love you like a, I, my love is like a dove from above that shoves a flub. It, I, once, I once did a wedding where they released doves at some point. And they were like, can you work doves into the ceremony? Okay. And the whole time they were behind me in this box. I'm a little uncomfortable with birds in general. They were behind me in this box and they were going to release them and they were going to fly out at some point. And I could hear them while I was talking through the marriage ceremony. Like, like I'm going to get you. It was, oh, it was awkward. Well, at one point I stepped, you know how I kind, I kind of walked back and forth. At one point I bumped into the thing and it teetered. It didn't fall. Listen, it didn't fall. It teetered and then went back. And apparently disoriented one of the doves. Because that thing went into a pond. Like love. And it was just this. But like, why is love like that? Well, because it rhymes. Why is it from above? It rhymes. But Paul's saying, I'm calling for your love to not just be this romantic love, but to be this love that has a purpose. Your love is going to be a sort of love that, that shows what God is doing. 
Your marriage is going to have a purpose. It's going to look a certain way because God has influenced the both of you. And so I will no longer just serve myself, but I will, I will submit to my spouse because the relationship, the way Jesus worked with us should affect us. The way God interacted with us should affect us. And I know how this works. I know I, I've been to enough marriage seminars and watched people walk out and say, well, did you hear what she said or did you hear what he said? He told you that you need to start doing the dishes. I didn't hear that, man. That, that he told... he Listen, again... We, as soon as we start keeping score, if you want your marriage to get better, quit keeping score. Stop fi trying to figure out who's done the most for the... You are no longer trying to top each other, but you now are trying to live out. And you, your life is an allegory for what God has done for you. Your life is, a, is an object lesson in what Jesus has done for you. And if you aren't married, it doesn't matter. You still hold you held accountable to the fact that your life is an object lesson for what God wants you to do. And that is not a thing that is going to lead us into places that makes us fine. Sometimes it's not going to be fine. But it is a, it is a life that's going to lead us to be faithful. Say, my marriage is sacred because God made it sacred. My, my life in general is, is a, a representation of what God has done for me. And so you don't, want, you don't want your life to be just about what can I get or what can I achieve or somehow, how can I get mine? Because that's not what God was about. What well, we see in Scripture, what Jesus did for the church, I mean, it, we say that like it's assumed. What Jesus did for His church is He came from heaven to earth. He died on a cross and He rose from the grave so that we will not fear death. So that we will not, we will not be um, held accountable for our sin in the end, that Jesus bore that on the cross for us and that we do not have to conquer death on our own. But, we, but Jesus will raise us. Your life needs to mirror that. But before your life mirrors that, your, need, your life needs to be washed with it. Your life needs to be just drenched in Jesus. Your life needs to be changed by God. And this old selfish style needs to be buried and put to death. And the new life of living for others, especially within my own household, living for others, doing for others, not necessarily as I would have it done for me, but we, Christians are called to a higher calling as we are doing for others as Christ has done for us. And that's going to lead you into places where you're just going to have to say, all right, 
I'm going to be faithful here. I choose to be faithful here. I'm not going to opt for fine. Because in the end, fine is flatlined. It's boring. Your marriage may need a good, strong discussion. Maybe that's, if that's what it needs, be faithful to it. We are not called to be fine. We are called to be faithful to the one who is faithful first. And that is a heavy path. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to the kingdom. And... and and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Your marriage is going to have to take a narrow road together if you're going to want it to represent the thing that it was supposed to represent all along. And it's going to, you're going to have to take that seriously. And there will be times it's not fine, but you will always, if you go through that pain, if you go through the, the awkward conversations, the, the hard things to talk about, it will be faithful and you will experience a love that is vulnerable. Instead of a love that is guarded and selfish. And that vulnerable sort of, sort of love, the vulnerable love that God loves us with is worth every ounce of pain that comes with it. Because it's, it's, it's so real. It's realer than anything you'll know. If you have never lived a Christian life, let me assure you of this. It is hard. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, let me assure you of this. It is a commitment. you've never followed the way of the Savior, let me assure you it is difficult. So I want you to consider those things before you take seriously the next thing. If you've never followed the way of Jesus, it is worth every step you'll take. Every bump in the road, every trial, every difficult season, it is worth. Every vulnerability that you have to show, it is worth it. Because God calls us to a certain kind of love and that love is difficult. But I have found in my long life that the things that are hardest to do or worth doing. They're worth your time. And so today, if you respond to Christianity, respond to Jesus, know that you're responding to a life that's difficult to live. But you are also giving over, giving yourself over to someone who has, who has loved you more than anyone else has ever loved you who has done more for you than anyone else has ever done for you and is worth your commitment more than anyone else in the world.
It's a hard journey, but it's a worthy journey. And he calls you today to start following him. To follow him again. To follow him for the first time. But it will change your life. It will make the pain significant and it will make the joy even greater. It will make everything you experience worth the while. Because you are called not just to be fine. But you are called to be And it is a fantastic journey that ends in victory. So if you want to follow Jesus this morning or you want to recommit to following Jesus this morning, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.